voting and referendum information. We had that uh, vote in the referendum poll last week. We got the results. I'll start with the referendum. Uh, the results were as follows. We had 105 ballots cast, 55 of which were members of the House, and then 50 of which are not uh, state-defined members of the House, but you're still members of the body of Christ, and we, we value that so deeply. Um, the results were 85 of those, or 81% of the total ballots cast for the referendum said yes. 12 said no, that's 11%. One abstained and seven left it blank. Um, 99 of the 105 said we're going to pray. 87 said we're going to give financially. Uh, 72 said we're going to volunteer in some form or fashion. Just a quick note on volunteering. We are, our numbers don't show it today because of the weather, but we are seeing more and more people come into this house, and it's wonderful to have people come in. But we don't have the infrastructure in place right now to put every person that's willing and able and, and called by God in a certain place that they would want to volunteer. That is why we're going to do a volunteer fair at some point uh, in, the next, in the near future. More on that to come. But we really do. We do notice the people that are coming. We know that you're hungry and thirsty for the Lord. It's, it's thank you for coming to this house and thank you for blessing the body of Christ. We look forward to all the ways that we can work together to see this region one for him. Uh, as far as the vote goes, we had 63 members of our 85. We have about 350 people that attend, but only 85 voting members. 63 ballots uh, were cast. 46 said yes, or 74% of the uh, voting membership. 12 said no, that's 19%, and 5 abstained. Technically, based on these results, we can move forward with the building. But there's a diversity of opinion among us. Some think we're going too fast. It's, it's just too fast. And I want to remind you that God has given us a list of fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And one of those fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. Another one is goodness. Why do I mention those? Because no matter what we do, whether there's a building or not, it requires faith. And it may be that we're supposed to move forward at a faster pace than any, some of us would feel comfortable with. I want to encourage you, fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness and goodness. God is pouring out so much goodness in this place and through this place. He wants to spread that around the region. Some of us may feel it's going too slow. There's some of us here. You don't have to show your hands. <laughs> and I want to encourage you with a couple of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience. Self-control. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. Self-control is one of the trunks. I believe it is the trunk of, the whole, of, the whole, of all that, whole, that list of the tree of the fruit of the, of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 19 and following. Self-control is the last one listed, but I believe it's the trunk. From self-control, we can love. Even though I don't feel like loving my enemy in this instance, I can be patient with a brother or a sister. I'm not calling our brothers and sisters enemies. I hope you're not either. But all of these fruits of the Spirit can be exercised, can be activated through us if we just trust the Lord in self-control. All that said, as a leadership team, we still do not know if, when, what, or how we're going to build. <laughs> it's, it's something that God is, is unfolding. Uh, we are proceeding with a couple of outstanding permits that we expect to uh, uh, as we're told by local authorities, they, they're basically all but done. We just need to finish the process. We have no uh, plans, formal plans right now uh, for fundraising or anything like that. But I'd like to bring your awareness and option on the website and also in person. If you would like to, just as, this is for your awareness. If you would like to give, um, you can go to our website, click on the giving tab. And one of the selections under that giving tab is the building fund, and you can just give it, is it under the Easy Tithe link? Okay, it's under Easy Tithe, okay. Okay, all right, it's under Easy Tithe, so if you can't find it right under the giving link, go to Easy Tithe and then click there. I thought she said there was also a PayPal way to get there too, that's what made me think it was a different, um, different selection, but 
Maybe it's just under easy tithe. Either way, go there, stick with it, you'll find it. Be faithful. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, if you'd like to give in person, you can write, in the che- write a check to ACF and just write in the memo, building. If you'd like to give uh, a cash donation, there's envelopes in the back. You can write building on there. This is a house that does not pass the plate. We have not had to pass the plate. This is a house that's so generous in giving, and our giving keeps going up, 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 and God is doing some things through that. Um, if that I did, did you guys see the graphic that was on there? As you stand to your feet, we're going to enter worship, but I just want to remind you of the vision of this place. It's a prophetic declaration over this house that we would influence spiritually a region that starts with this as the epicenter and includes a 75-mile radius around this as the epicenter. It's something we believe in. It's something we're called to. This church specifically is nestled in between two townships. To my left, your right, is Brownville. That township has over 6,000 people in it. To my right, your left, is Houndsfield. That township has 3,300 plus in it. That's, that's somewhere around 10,000 people in it. Just in this region, that, this direct region, 100 square miles, not the 17,000 that we're called to reach, but just in this local region that we're nestled in the center of, I want to be forthcoming with my opinion on the building. I believe that we are going to not only fill the building when we, when we build, I believe it's going to overfill. I see in part, I know in part. Paul says, I see in a mirror dimly. That word dimly comes from the Greek word enigma. And we know what enigma means. There's mystery. You're not hearing me say that I know for sure what's going to happen But I want to, as your pastor, be forthcoming with my opinion. And I know full well I could be wrong. And others that have a different opinion, they could be right. I want to encourage us as we enter into worship. Focus on the unity in Christ. He doesn't command us to have uniformity. It's just the opposite. He calls every member to do its share. And we all have different parts to play. But when we're focused on Christ, when he is in our hearts, when he is seated on the throne of our hearts, when he is truly Lord of our hearts, we let these differences of opinion be lesser things and we keep the main thing, the main thing. Father, we unite together in you. Your word promises, and I just pray this over the house this morning, anybody listening online, those present, In the name of Jesus, there is a commanded blessing when we dwell together in unity. As we worship together, inhabit the praises of your unified church. In the name of Jesus, manifest all the wonderful things, all the giftings, all the blessings, all the truth, all the correction. Everything that you're speaking to us, I pray in the name of Jesus, as we lift your name up, Father in heaven, we would hear your voice. We would know what you're telling us and we would receive healing to our spirits, healing to our souls and healing to our bodies. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, for resting on this place this morning. Each and every one of our souls you're speaking to, you're moving saints of God, I just sense in the spirit that there's some of us have come with with a pure, poor uh, lowliness of heart. And I say pure because it's we're realizing that we can't we can't do it on our own. We failed and there's just this brokenness. It's a, it's a holy brokenness that's come upon us. And it's the very first words out of Jesus in his great sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and I just, I just want to bless what the Holy Spirit is depositing and pouring out on you right now. You've come, and, and, and it's, it's been a season of, of just 
it's, it's been mixed with failures. It's been mixed with frustrations and circumstances that you cannot figure out on your own. And you're just desperate for the Lord. And it's the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in the great sermon. Blessed, happy, glad of heart are you if you come to him in that lowliness of heart. Come to him in that lowliness of spirit. I'm also being prompted by the Spirit to bless those that are among us that are hungry. It's not lost on me, and it's certainly not lost on the Holy Spirit, that some of you did not feel like coming this morning. You may be at home and you didn't come, but you're hungry. And you're watching right now online, and you just, you just know that God is your answer You know what David said, that he sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies, but you're not seeing the reality of that table set before you in the presence of your enemies. God is declaring through the mouth of Jesus in the Beatitudes, again in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I bless the Holy Spirit's work to be filling you right now in the name of Jesus. You live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Ears open to the word of God right now. That rhema, that specific word, he's speaking to your heart. I speak a binding, a cancellation of that which has blocked the ears of our hearts and a loosing of the plug, a loosing of the block, a freedom, an open airway. The ears of our hearts would be attentive, in tune with the rhema that he's speaking to us right now. In the name of Jesus, saints of God. He speaks and he is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. I declare that truth over this house. He speaks and they turn to him, and they follow him, and he leads them in and out of pasture. I bless the future for us, defined by God, that is hopeful, that is good, that is encouraging. Everything that you have for our futures, God, we thank you that we look unto you, lest we be discouraged. In the name of Jesus. I just want to share a testimony too. Last night we were listening to another couple that said they have names of children in this box. This box, if you don't know, is filled with names of of kids and loved ones, friends, close people to our hearts that do not know Jesus. And they weigh heavily on many of our hearts, if not all of our hearts. Last night I was hearing a testimony from another couple that said since they put the names of their children in this box, they're seeing breakthrough. Communication has opened up between father and son and mother and daughter. God is moving. It is the testimony of Jesus that's the spirit of prophecy. Allow that to be a prophecy from the Lord. The testimony of what Jesus is doing in different prodigal situations and how he's prophesying that and wanting that to happen with our loved ones. Would you agree with me? Holy Spirit, we reverently call you the hound of heaven right now. You chasten, you convince, you do not stop searching hearts. We bless your perfect convincing in each of our loved ones that do not know you. Speak to them. Let your voice be clearly heard to them. Bring them to the point of a decision where they can see clearly the lie that they've been following and they can see clearly the truth that you're offering. We bless your truth to set free, make free, and make free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you didn't hear me online, I was just saying God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. There's no shadow of turning in him. There's no variation. James 1.17, every good gift, every precious gift comes from him. We have to do nothing to receive it, even though we try sometimes. We, we just 
sit in his presence with reverence and humility, and he pours out his goodness. God, I thank you for shattering the lies that say we can't receive your goodness. Thank you for shattering cynicism, skepticism, and just your presence right now in our midst, stirring our hearts to trust you for your goodness. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to show you a picture of a pile of money. I don't know how much money is there, but it's a lot. I don't know about you, but I've heard people say some things, and I've said some things about money, but money doesn't make you happy, but it sure can help. I don't see that in Scripture, but sometimes I've heard people say that, that are sons and daughters of God. I've said things similar. Money makes the world go round. We may not believe that, but maybe we've said it, and maybe there's subtle ways that we might partner with that thought. We'll see as we go along with this message. Money is power. Those who have the money make the rules. Money talks. Or maybe this one that I found, an anonymous quote. Money isn't the most important thing in life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen on on the gotta have it scale. (laughs) I want to speak to the possibility that some of us may be blind, maybe not seeing the ways that we're putting money too high in our priority list, too important to us. This is a picture of John Rockefeller, oil magnate. At the turn of the 20th century, he was the wealthiest man in the world. If you project his wealth back then, over 100 years ago, to now, he would have more money than Jeff Bezos, Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett combined. They estimate that his net worth, if you extrapolate how much he made then to today's currency, is about $410 billion. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he said this, just a little bit more. You and I would look at him and hope he's joking, and he might have been. But I want to ask you, how much money is enough? How much money is enough for us, for you, for me, to do what God wants us to do? A thousand dollars? A million dollars? God, if I just had ten bucks, I'd give it to the server. Nowhere in Scripture does it condition the amount of money in our wallet or the amount of money in our bank account with our calling to go and make disciples. Sometimes we think we need a little bit more money. It would just make things go easier, and there's some truth to that. But the truth of the capital T as that Jesus is the way, the, the life, and the truth. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the light. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the great I am. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 4.13, we so often quote it, but we forget the context. The context is Paul exhorting the church at Philippi about money. Even without it, even without earthly provision, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We're in a series. I'm going to title it this morning. I think I titled it. I forget what I titled it last night, but it doesn't matter because the Spirit's in it. Love the way Jesus loved. He told us to love our, save, love our, our God in heaven with all our heart, soul, and mind, love our neighbor as ourselves, and then later on in his ministry, in fact, the last evening of his life here on earth, the night before he is crucified, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Jesus had no place to lay his head. Foxes of the earth have dens, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He instructed his disciples to go out with various details, not the least of which, without a money bag. He told us in the Synoptic Gospels, it is hard for a man that has earthly currency, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in his love for us, gave everything for us. And he's calling us to love in the same way, no matter what we have stockpiled, no matter what we have in our bank accounts. I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount in my last message two weeks ago. The first mention in the canon of Scripture of this word agape, or the verb form agapao. It is the love of God. It literally means unconditional love. That doesn't quite define it. That's how we try to figure it out as humans. 1 John 4.8 defines what love is, agape. It is God himself. It's the love with which he loves. The laying down of life, the giving of everything for someone else, even if it's an enemy. A little bit later in the great sermon, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these words, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is the only place in Scripture where Jesus or any author, any of the 40 authors of the book of the, of the Bible, it's the only place where there's this comparison, this direct contrast between two spiritual masters. John tells us that God is spirit. We must worship him in spirit. So when Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon, he's referring to a spirit. Therefore, he's comparing another spirit. Well, what is that spirit? The word mammon is translated from the Aramaic word mamanos, only used four times in the New Testament, once in Matthew 6, three times in Luke chapter 16, and it refers to a spiritual being, an entity that the Babylonians, many years and many centuries before Christ became, came to earth, that they worshipped. It was the spirit of money, the spirit of materialism. And they bowed down to it, they sacrificed people to it, and they worshipped it. When Jesus mentions it in Matthew 6, he's saying it is still alive it's defeated, but only through Jesus. Everything is under his feet, and when we come under his lordship, it is under our feet as a result. I want you to understand that when Jesus says this, he's saying you cannot serve whatever spirit might be on the material things that we possess, whatever spirit might be on our money, at the same time as serving our God in heaven cannot do it simultaneously. It cannot be done. One or the other will be the dominant Lord of our lives. This is a picture of Mahatma Gandhi. Many of us know him, know of him. I didn't meet him personally. He died in 1948. I don't know anybody here that did as well. But maybe you did, and that'd be great. I'd love to hear from you. What we do know of him is that he was a leader, a cultural leader, and you might not know that he, he, he was in South Africa for 20 years doing some of the things that would later make him famous in India and later lead to him being called the, called the father of modern India. But when he was studying to be a lawyer in London, he met a person that gave him a Bible. And he began to read the Bible. He read it cover to cover. And the place that he was drawn to again and again and again was our Lord's great sermon the Sermon on the Mount. And as he observed and as he was searching before he went to South Africa, before he did his great exploits in India, as he was a young man studying law, he began to question whether or not he should give up Hinduism and turn to Christianity. And he ultimately decided, at least what we have on record, 
I don't want to claim to be judgment over Gandhi and where his heart stood when he ended this life and into the next. But what he is quoted as saying is this, I consider Western Christianity in its practical working a negation of Christ's Christianity. What did he mean by that? Separate quote along the same subject matter that Gandhi was considering. Multiplicity of wants and material comforts on the one hand, again, referring to Western civilization, Western culture. Many wants, many material comforts on one hand, and the essential teaching of the sermon, referring to the great sermon, Jesus' great sermon, that on the other hand. He was referring to this verse. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is about the time that any good preacher would put in an illustration. But Jesus does a fine job of illustrating his own truth. I'm going to read it to you. You can just read along with me out loud if you like. I'm going to go kind of quickly. Verses 25 to 34, immediately after he tells us we can't serve two masters, he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I want to pause and say, how much stuff do we have gathered into barns, folks? We wouldn't call our garage a barn, but the people I met in China, in the Sichuan province in 2006, they asked me if I was rich. And I said, no. They said, do you have a car? And I said, yes. They said, do you have a garage? I said, yes. I said, you're rich. We have stuff, folks. And Jesus is here giving us a perfect example. Christ in his perfect knowledge giving us a perfect example of birds of the air <laughs> being provided for. Are you not more of more value than those birds of the air? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they neither... How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is another parallel with what he said just nine verses earlier. No one can serve two masters. Put me first. He's saying it again. Put me first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He mentions worry six times following his directive to us to not serve two masters and specific revealing of the spirit of mammon. This is a picture of Corey Ten Boom. And you're going to notice that all of the pictures I show you, they're of people that have made profound quotes, profound impacts in history, and they're all alive. They've all passed away now, but they're all alive at the turn of the century. And there's a reason for that that I'll bring out later if I remember. I hope to. Corey Ten Boom, as many of us know, was held in a Nazi war camp, a prison, a prison camp, because she was a Jew and because she was hiding Jews, her and her family. She underwent horrendous torment, horrendous tortures. She saw her sister die at the hands of Nazi tormentors. She had everything in our understanding and our reason to worry about. But she says this about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. 
It's a paraphrase of what Jesus said in the end of chapter 6, verse 34 of Matthew 6. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He doesn't promise us necessarily to give us bread tomorrow, even though we can count on him to be faithful. He directly declares over us, I will give you daily bread. Yet so many times we get anxious, we get worked up. God, could you just give me a secure perspective on what tomorrow is bringing? What the next month is bringing? What's going to happen to my child? What's going to happen? Should I marry this person? Am I going to get married? All all the questions that we ask. How am I going to make ends meet? And Jesus is saying, do not worry about tomorrow. Corey Ten Boom is saying, it's going to be empty if you do. The very day you're living in is going to be empty because we're focused on tomorrow. If you agree with that, just let me know with an amen. Amen. It helps. I just want to know I'm preaching and I'm clearly understood. She wasn't a Jew? Okay. Thank you. Corey wasn't a Jew. It's on the record. Thank you, honey. One of the good gifts God gave me was my wife. And she readily corrects me. And it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And, and, uh, and wives, pay attention because your husbands have that gift as well, just in different cop- capacities, and we complement each other well. I want to show you another picture. It's an ugly picture, but what it represents is even uglier. The average American discards and ends up, this, this ends up in the dump, 81.5 pounds of clothing, each one of us. There's no other country in the planet that throws away that much clothing. We take it to Salvation Army. We take it to Goodwill. But immediately, half of that gets discarded. They can't do anything with it. They're trying, but they can't find. It has, there's certain things they cannot sell. If it's not immediate, it's eventual. It doesn't sell off the shelf. I don't see in my life, I'm wearing, I wear clothes that are old. I'm not, I'm not bragging about that. It's nothing to brag about in this culture. <laughs> I still get rid of some stuff. I might get rid of 10 pounds of clothing a year. But I was with people in Africa and Tanzania that wore the same thing every day. And you want to know something? They were happy and content. It's like Paul exhorting Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. They had smiles that resonated from the smile in their hearts. They didn't need other clothing. Do we? Do we need that tenth pair of shoes? They didn't have a second pair of shoes. Yet the smile of Jesus was in their, in their faces. I want to show you another picture. This is a picture of food in a bag. There is 120 billion pounds of food every year that Americans, this country alone, throws away. Each one of us, if we average that out, give or take a few pounds, each one of us discards 325 pounds of food every year. These are the things Jesus 2,000 years ago were using by way of an illustration to prove his point. You cannot serve two masters. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. We're not. Yet somehow, in some convoluted way, we're stocking our cupboards up with food. This is not a message of condemnation. I'm with you in this. It's only condemning when we're in the flesh. 
Those who live according to the Spirit are set free. They have peace, Matthew 8, 6. Matt, or Romans 8, 6. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, in the, who are in the Spirit, who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but in the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life, verse 2, has set me free from the law of sin and death. The condemnation only lingers as long as I remain in the flesh. I stay worrying. I stay stockpiling. Let me in the Spirit gently and kindly pointing the finger at myself, say this, when I stay prepping, oh, it's wisdom, Pastor Josh, it's wisdom. It can be, but if it's the thing that's driving me, there's a worry there, there's a consummation there that's not just birthed in Christ. I might be just what James says, duplicitous, double-minded, having one foot in the world, one foot in the spirit, a double-minded man, a double-minded woman, a person is unstable in all his or her ways. Well, if I didn't step on enough toes, let me just keep going. <laughs> and, and really, he's stepping on our toes, saints of God, and it's for a purpose. There's a holy unction over this house in any house that wants to lift up his name. There's a holy unction, a holy zeal, a holy passion, not my passion, not your passion, a zeal from the Lord that causes us to take up our cross and say, have everything. There is a spiritual revealing, and sometimes as a lead pastor, dad lived through it, many lead pastors lived through it, it's not just lead pastors. Any of us that have any pro prophetic inclination, sometimes we feel a little lonely when God is revealing something. But I can't help but proclaim that which God has put on my heart. This is a tipping point message. It's a message that wants to go into our hearts by will of the Holy Spirit where we would lay everything down before him and not one thing that we possess, not one thing, we would say, you can't have. We would say, you can have. It is yours, Lord, to use as you will. Amen. Same pile of money I showed you. Jesus says six times in Matthew 6, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. 87% of Americans, according to secular statistics, 87% of Americans according to the APA, American Psychological Association, when they get news of inflation or they get some understanding, some inkling, we Americans, when we understand that inflation is on the rise, 87% of us report some level of worry increasing in our hearts. That is a red flag to those of us that walk in the spirit that we might have a double standard that there might be a spirit of mammon influence in me. There might be a spirit of mammon influence in you. I want to remind the house in the love and truth of God, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. The following verse, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, However worried I might be about inflation, however worried I might be about this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus encounters a rich young ruler. Did I mention this is a tipping point message? Do you know that what Paul tells the first Corinthian church, that the preaching of the gospel... The gospel message brings good news. It brings liberation. It brings freedom. The preaching and the proclamation of the gospel, which is what I'm doing, centered in Jesus, saves. I'm going to continue to preach. That was just my justification for that. Three times in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the rich young ruler is mentioned, but Mark's is the only gospel that has it this way. Jesus, looking at this man, loved him, agapau, agapau, loved him. This man was coming to him, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven, to inherit eternal life? And he says he's done all these commandments, and then Jesus looking at him, the eyes of our Savior looking at this man, picture it with me if you will, 
the loving eyes of Jesus, looking into his eyes and seeing who he is, penetrating him, God penetrate our hearts, and seeing that there was one more thing that he lacked. He's doing it in love. He says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. God, let us not be sorrowful. When you're looking at us and saying the same thing, lay everything down and follow you. Be your follower, be your disciple, and also go make disciples. This is a picture of Albert Schweitzer, a polymath, just a fancy word for saying he was an expert in many different fields. He was a musicologist, he was a philosopher, he was a physician, he was an expert theologian. And he said this, if you own anything that you cannot give away, then you do not own it. It owns you. The definition of mortgage as we understand it, is paying off our house. We take out a note and we pay a 15-year term, a 20-year term, a 30-year term. It comes from the Latin word mort and the old French word gage. Mort means death. Gage means pledge. We take out, as I think Jesus would rightly correct, say it, <laughs> I don't know, I'm taking a little liberty there, <laughs> We take out a death pledge. We take out a death pledge. And when we do, as Solomon said, the borrower becomes slave to the lender. Nowhere in Scripture, except to Christ, is slavery a good thing. We are referred to in the dichotomy of Romans 6, slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness and slaves to Christ. In other words, followers of Christ. His yoke is the easiest one going, though. We take out this death pledge in our mortgage. My wife and I have a mortgage, and we are working to pay it off. But one of the things that encumbers us when we take out our loans for our houses, we take out our loans for our vehicles, we take out our loans for anything, one of the things that holds us back is the value in our hearts. We realize how hard we have to work to pay it off. How many years of month after month payments. Be honest with me, people. It is a heavy burden to carry. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we find ourselves thinking we're driving our cars, but they're driving us thinking that we're living in our houses and we're thriving, but that weight of that physical structure is on our shoulders financially. Jesus is saying, and he lived by example, he didn't have a house to go to. He didn't have a horse to ride. He got a colt to ride in his triumphal entry in the east side of Jerusalem when he came in a week before Easter. He didn't have earthly possessions. No matter how many people try to argue, they're looking through a lens of riches first. I'm just telling you, there's a spirit of mammon present when we try to argue that our Lord and Savior was rich. He wants to set us free. Let me ask you this. If you think you own it, you can't give it away, how does that apply to our houses? Are we willing to give away our houses? I am. Are we willing to give away our cars, our trucks? I am. This is the tipping point message that God wants to birth in our hearts. Such a hunger, such an earnest desire, a fervor for the Spirit of God to be released in this area that goes beyond our earthly possessions our earthly conveniences, our comforts, the things we rest on in the natural. If you feel passion coming from me, you're not feeling the wrong thing. I'm feeling like I did last night. The passion, the zeal, 
the hot breath of the Holy Spirit in this message. It's a critical point. As soon as we reach, there's certain things that God wants us to do. There's certain things that he has for us. And as soon as we let go, we let God. Are we hungry enough? There's no difference between us. He says elsewhere in the scripture. There's no difference between us and and tax collectors. If if we're just just like them. (laughs) What's the difference between us and the outside, the non-Christians? I got to save my house. I got to save my vehicle. I got to provide for my family. But when they see the testimony of Jesus that sets free and liberates a heart. The easy yoke evidenced by me just showing up and being happy despite the leak in my roof, despite the drippy oil out of my used car, despite the rust hole in it, despite all that, I am content in Jesus. When they see that, they know there's something more. How are we going to win this region if we don't step in to following him and taking up our cross? It's the words of Jesus that bring the stark contrast to the spirit of mammon and God. It is hard for a rich man to enter and stay entered and deepen the entry into Christ, into the kingdom of heaven. It is hard because there's always this pull coming back, pulling us back and tugging us away from the things of God. First Timothy, Paul's writing and exhorting the church at Ephesus This is a church that has bad doctrine, wolves that are penetrating and coming in and into the sheep. There's there's it's not completely bad, but there's wolves that are coming in. And Paul's writing Timothy to exhort him, stop them, speak to them, declare to them the truth. And one of the things he's speaking to is the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That word love, this is an important thing. That word love is not agape. It's philos. It's friendship. When Jesus is confronting Peter, repentant Peter, after he's denied him, in John chapter 21, verse 15 and following, when Jesus is confronting Peter, he asks him three time, two times, Peter, do you love me? Agapao. Do you love me? As God would define it. Peter, those two times, answers, yes, I love you, philos. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word phileo, philos. And Peter says a third time, yes, philos, I love you. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, agapal. Two verses after that, in verse 14, he says, you are my philos, my friends, if you do what I command you. A lot of times we want to be friends with Jesus. He wants to be friends with us but we haven't yet made him unconditional Lord of our lives. We want all the benefits and the blessings and the privileges that go along with him providing for our every need as we define it because he's not a Lord of our lives. When Jesus takes Peter through that sequence, when Jesus mentions this sequence in his farewell address in John 15, he is taking us through what his priority scale is. The priority is that even though I don't know you, Jesus, there's something in my heart that knows I am wrong and I am sinful without you. I need you regardless of whatever comes. If I only have one set of clothes, if I have no house to to lay my head in, whatever comes, I need you. You are my Lord. Before Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Question 
I want you to ask yourself, do I get worried about my earthly security? Jesus illustrated this earthly security, the idea of it with food, clothing, shelter, tomorrow, my future. Will I only follow Jesus as long as I can keep my money and my stuff? Do I believe that if I had more money, I could then bless more people and then step into my calling? There's 50,000 square miles of off-site storage space that we Americans have. To give you a bit of a picture, frame of reference for that, that's enough for every single person in America, 340 million people, to stand, all the homeless included, to stand under a roof-covered shelter. They're housing our boats. They're housing our sentimental stuff. Things that we won't touch in 10 years, 15 years. Things that'll stay locked up because no one can find the key after we pass away. In the context of Matthew 6, 24, leading up to it, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's not just storage facilities, folks. It's our retirement accounts. We're laying up treasures here on earth. This is what he's speaking to. Jesus loved, and he told us to love the way he loves. And part of the way he loves is he didn't keep anything Earthly, he instructed his disciples to do the same thing. And he tells us to go make disciples. You and I are called to do that. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of light, will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's trying to tell us about the deception that we might be in. When we're holding on to our bank accounts, when we're holding on to our retirement accounts. This is kind of a funny message to bring forth on the heels of what we might be building. I want to assure you, I want to assure you unequivocally, this is not a message to get you to the gift of the building. In fact, I released a prophetic word last night, and I'll do it right now. We have this ritual definition of what tithing is. It's based on theology, the logic of God, and the logic of God is based on man's reasoning. So theology is not a great term. When we're we're humbly approaching God, when we're down on our knees before God, we're not trying, his ways are higher than ours. We're not trying to figure him out, or when we do, we're going to fail. But theologically, we have this idea of tithing. It's a 10%. It comes from the Hebrew. It predates the law. Abraham did it to Melchizedek. He tithed to him something in his heart. But we have this definition of tithing based on the Old Testament, not necessarily mentioned by Jesus anywhere in the New. We have this idea of tithing that it goes to your local church. I'm stepping on some toes. How about making God first? Seek first the kingdom of God. Where the Spirit of God leads me to put my money, and I am declaring this over this house, it does not have to come here. If God leads you to do it, that's great. If the Spirit of God is leading you, the Spirit of truth, I operate in a measure of truth as the pastor. And what I'm saying, I try to divide, I try my best. I give you my best. I lay down my life, I really do, in some ways that you don't need to see. I give you the best that I have. But I still see in part and know in part. So test this, what I'm about to say. Just as, just as, the, as Paul exhorts the church at Thessalonica, Test all things, hold fast what is good when it's, when it's the prophetic word. But I want to release you from the bondage of ritual to flow in the life of the Holy Spirit. And as he leads you to give, 
He's going to lead you to give a lot more than 10%, but it doesn't have to be at this house. Part of what God is doing in this region is letting go of our identity and any selfishness, any remote sense of egocentricity that we might have spiritual centricity in our hearts that this is the best place going. He's telling us to let that go. We're going to invest in other houses. They've invested in us. It's not just this place that's going to succeed. If we're going to take this region, it's his church united in love, in the flow of the Spirit. If you feel led to give to another house, please do. Stay in the Word of God. Let the Lord lead you. If you feel led to give to this house, it's always welcome. I don't want to pass the, the, the offering. It's too precious what God is doing. This, this place is so blessed. We don't even pass the offering plate, and our giving keeps going, increasing. I just want to release you from any ritual, any expectation, any past hurt that you may have experienced from pastors that have manipulated or coerced. If you've, if you've received any of that from me, I, for, I ask for forgiveness, and I, I, I really do. I, I, I repent of it. I want to release you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. I'm just getting started, guys. Can you hang in there? Only a few people laughed. It was a joke. <laughs> <clears throat> Am I willing to give away everything I own? Am I willing to give my retirement savings away? I'm not telling you you have to do this. But if you're not willing to give it away, and you know in your heart the Holy Spirit reveals it, if you're not willing to give it away, you don't own it. It owns you. Is Jesus the Lord of my life? He said that to the rich young ruler. It was an invitation to the best opportunity that the rich young ruler had ever had. And he went away sad because he couldn't let go of his earthly goods. And Jesus was asking him, will you follow me in everything? Will you follow me? That's exactly what he's asking us. We're no different. It's the same invitation. Sometimes when we follow him, he'll tell us to go places that we do not want to go, just like he told Peter in the end. You're going to spread out your arms and you're going to be taken to a place where you do not want to go. Jer quoted it last week. I quoted it the week before. This idea of the rich young ruler taking up the cross. What you see before you is a map. Anything in color are the most dangerous places for a Christian to live in in this day and age. North Korea is the most dangerous Afghanistan's a close second. There's a great chance if you go to those countries as a Christian, you'll be killed. Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Entrea, Libya, Iran, Yemen, and Iran round off, round off the top 10. I can give up my retirement account. I can give my vehicle away. <laughs> I can do all these things, but God, don't send me to North Korea. That's so radical, Josh. It's so radical. It is. I feel it, brothers and sisters. I don't want a leaky house. I don't want a leaky vehicle. And if I can, I'd like to live as long as I can and enjoy my family. And that includes this family. I would. But there's something getting choked out when the cares of this world, this earthly concern overtakes what the Spirit of God wants to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's called us to be light in dark places. He's called us to let people free. It's Jesus through us setting captives free, loosening bonds. That is us. That is us. It's a revelation, an overwhelming enlightenment that he wants to put in our hearts. We're more than just sitters in pews and chairs. We're more than just workers Monday through Friday. We're more. We're so much more. God, loose our minds. Let us know what is the fullness of your love, the goodness of your grace, the power of your move. I'm going to show you one more quote, and then we're going to close. Reese Howells wrote a book called Intercessor. 
He was around during the Welsh Revival. He's not as well known as Evan Roberts, the great revivalist, but Reese Howells, God used to do amazing things. He went where God told him to go. Sometimes he was on the verge of uh, in line to take a plane or a train wherever God wanted him to go, a ship. He didn't have any money in his hands. He didn't have a ticket. He had nothing. And God would bring the money right then as he was about to buy the ticket. It's how God moves. It's how Jesus moved. And it's how he wants us to move in love. He has this quote that I want to share with you in closing. Living faith is above circumstances. No delays can discourage it. No loss of friends or depression in trade can touch it. All of the individuals that you've seen on this screen lived at the turn of the century. They're now deceased, but they lived through what we know as the Great Depression. They lived a hundred years ago. And the same thing that they were dealing with then is the same thing we're dealing with now. And it's the same thing that Christ was speaking about 2,000 years ago when he said, don't serve two masters. You cannot do it. You'll either love the one and hate the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. As you stand to your feet, I want you to get ready for communion. If you would. Jesus, when he gave us these instructions and then Paul echoed them, he didn't tell us to come perfectly. He told us to come as we are, just come reverently. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. It is a picture of you giving everything because of your love for us. Right now, we repent for anything that you're revealing, any ways that we have not laid down our stuff, our material goods, where we've idolized some of the things that we have in this life. We repent of that. I want to leave a moment, just a moment, for you to pray to the Lord. This is not a symbol. It's not just a symbol when we do this. This is an encounter with the Lord. And Paul warned us that if we do this irreverently, coming before him proudly and knowing that there's sin in our lives, not repentant, we run the risk of sickness and or death. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. So I want to leave a room for us to examine ourselves. Anything in this message? Anything outside of this message? Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken for us out of love. And as we partake, we receive that love in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Jesus says this cup is the new covenant of my blood. We no longer have to live under the old covenant trying to perform and go through rituals because you put your law in our hearts. You give us new hearts. You give us new wineskins and new wine. Saints of God, I just this is what I'm praying over the house as we partake. That as we partake in covenant with him and covenant with each other, we would find a new way a newness of life and letting go of our stuff. There would be a freedom as we're partaking and covenanting with him. There's a sharp and decisive breaking of any covenant we might have with stuff and the spirit of mammon. I'm blessing this house with that declaration. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Jesus.
for the new covenant. Amen. You know, laughter does good like a medicine. That's what Solomon said. There was a few laughs in that message. Not a lot of them. I'm with you. Can I just say that you will be laughing a lot more? All of us will be as our hearts get renovated by the Holy Spirit. There is great joy in the Lord. It's overflowing. It's pressed down. It's shaken together. I bless you, saints of God. I love you with all my heart. If you would like prayer, please come forward for anything in the message. If you'd like healing, I felt that this morning. If you'd like prayer for healing, I was seeing neck. If you've got any neck pain, if you have time. If you don't, we can pray for you another time. But uh, that's one, in, one thing in specific I was seeing is neck pain. Um, If you have anything you'd like prayer for, come on forward. Bless you.